Welcome to the Marketing Commute, a podcast that explores the roads taken and the lessons learned by truly world-class Australian marketers. I'm Mike Boyd, and joining me on the commute this time are Andrew Baxter, Board Director, Senior Advisor, and Marketing Columnist at The Australian, as well as Carmen Becker, Partner at KPMG Australia and Leader of their CMO Advisory Practice. In this episode of the Marketing Commute, uh, we are joined in the studio by Mark Sunquist, Partner at 55.5. Mark's a very experienced market researcher and leader, and we can't wait to chat with him a little bit further uh, in the show about his career journey. Um, and everything else in between. So let's get on with it. All right, what's caught our eye this week? Well, for me, there was an article in Marketing Week about can tech democratise B2B market research? It'd be interesting to hear uh, Mark's point of view mm-hmm. on this. They were talking about, uh, it, was, it was through LinkedIn, I think, that, that had done it, um, and you know how easy it is to source panels uh, uh, and that whole latest generation of B2B marketers and see where that goes. So yeah, it might be something we pick up in a little bit, little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And then um, the growth in advertising. So Group M have just put out um, a report entitled This Year, Next Year, uh, and it's saying 8.6% growth in advertising. So that's good news for for the advertisers and the media owners out there. But we were just discussing that it's different things that we think will be growing. I think the mix is fascinating, which I guess we can talk to today. But it's just it reflects just the profound change in consumer behaviour that we've seen over the last nine months and and how the media dollar has swung across, you know, to respond to that change from people no longer commuting to work, you know, they're at home, therefore radio down typically, outdoor down and a swing back to, you know, mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, broadcast TV. Yeah. So they have even even mid midday TV. It is interesting and it's also a reminder because we all often say it as marketers, well, you know, marketing's the first or advertising is the first to get cut yeah. during a recession yep. and the first to bounce back. And we're mm. seeing exactly that Absolutely. through this. And I think for those that didn't necessarily want to listen back in March, April when this happened, I mean exactly the same thing has happened as has happened the last five recessions. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and I, think, exactly. I, think, I think the bigger shift this, this time around is oh, I just can't get over the volatility, you know, yeah. and, and, and I think that, you know, as the, as the, you know, the, the charting that just to look at it, I don't think they've ever seen that dramatic swings, mm, you know, absolutely. from quarter to quarter, which I think is incredible. What about you, Mike? Um, look, I think, you know, again, like, like other things that have changed out of this, um, out of this, um, this sort of COVID world is, you know, Facebook and Instagram, you know, continue to sort of evolve their products and getting, you know, heavier and heavier into that old whole e-commerce space, which I think is fantastic. You know, we've been we've been talking sort of you know earlier in the in in the season about you know the, the changes in e-commerce power and you know Facebook and and um, and Instagram continue to push into that thing, bringing businesses onto their platforms, bolting onto their you know their advertising um, their advertising dollar. Which you know in last episode when we were talking to Naomi Simpson, you know all about that value piece. You know they just get stronger and stronger, and um, you know it, it, it seems to be no limit to to helping the world become more digitised, which is great. Time to welcome our guest officially for this episode, Mark Sunquist. Mark's worked in the insights consulting space for over 25 years and has built and led two of Australia's most successful insights businesses, The Leading Edge, uh, as one of the main four shareholders, the MD, the Sydney office CEO, I think as well, and then 55.5 as one of the three founders and now managing partner. Um, During Mark's time as a researcher, he's worked with clients across nearly every sector, Deep experience in financial services, telco, B2B, FMCG, tourism, media, construction and hardware, and also professional services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark's also worked client-side uh, in managing market research and analytics functions in Westpac and St George. And he's worked here and overseas, which is why it's always good to celebrate a great Australian marketer who uh, has had that sort of experience. So, Mark, thanks for coming on the show and welcome no to the Marketing Morning. 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 Now, we always ask at the start, you know, there's always a reason why you end up in this weird and wonderful marketing business. What <laughs> kick-started your marketing career? 
Um, yes, well, I sort of fell into it by accident, like most people do. So um, I actually, out of university, I was a, uh, did a marketing degree at uh, New South Wales University. Um, they had an open day, a range of different, you know, um, businesses turned up and pitched their wares. And I thought Westpac looked pretty good. So I actually ended up getting a marketing graduate trainee um, shit with them and it was a classic thing with the musical chairs you know you go and spend time in every department and then music stopped and I ended up in research so it was <laughs> and uh, I've been That's there right. ever since so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you did your research they might say before you got around in, that, in well, those chairs not really <laughs> when, <laughs> when did your career really accelerate then if you started there and yeah it was interesting I, I learned a lot um, I think the great you know I've spent most of my career what we would call on the supply side, so working for corporate clients and, and whatnot, being a supplier and an agency. But what I learned in those sort of three to four years was a lot about how businesses work or mm. don't work. Um, so, which is, I think is really important as you start to, I guess, develop your consulting capabilities and those types of things. But really when my career really took off for me, I was, I'd moved from, I'd worked at Westpac and George, and then I'd been I'd working in a, an agency, another agency at that time, and I was kind of stuck, right? I didn't realise I was stuck, and it's good learning for me that just, you know, I kind of felt I enjoyed the company, but I didn't really feel like I was progressing. And then I just got a phone call one day from um, Tim and Derek, who were the, the two founders of The Leading Edge, said, come and have a coffee, um, went and had a coffee, and within three days, I'd sort of accepted and uh, joined the leading edge so and I just I think it was just such a it was one of those moments fortuitous moments it wasn't planned but it was joining a business that had you know it was young it was fun there was lots of energy behind it it was growing it had momentum and you know I think the big learning out of that for me was you know there's so much about you know opportunities come from growth right mm -hmm. and I think it was just lucky that I found that business at the time which was good you've had some time overseas as well through this I mean yeah. how's is, is the research industry any different over there is it similar what's the what's oh, the learning it, it's quite it's dramatically different actually yeah. so we I guess in our the current business 555 we've set up about 10 years ago pretty much from day one about you know around 30, 35% of our revenues being global revenues. So that's mm -hmm. probably half through Asia, half beyond. We do a lot of work in Europe, US, but the, the, the industries and the markets are very different. The US, for example, a lot of the capability in Insight sits with inside large corporates, why they're massive organizations. So they t kind of research over there is more data collection. Um, whereas you come to markets like the UK and Australia, whereas you know, you're really leaning into agencies to take that information you know, synthesize it and deliver back into the business, you know, insights that create impact for business. So they're, they're actually really, really different uh, different uh, type industries and markets. And you must have seen a lot of cultural nuances as you've worked across the various oh, markets. And for, again, for working- customers and clients. Well, yeah. yeah, a lot of our global clients and a lot of the work that we do there, a lot we do a lot of facilitation work, right? So you're bringing together global and you're bringing together all the local market leads and invariably you're spending 90% of your time trying to manage the complexities of the uh, politics at play and yeah. trying yeah. to navigate an outcome, which yeah. is which is fascinating. But you know what? Australians are pretty good at it. Um, and I think one of the things, the great advantages of, of you know our careers in Australia is you tend to become more generalist. So you're exposed to so many different things, you know, different parts of an organisation, different business problems, different opportunities. Um, and that gives you a really, I guess, well-rounded and grounded um, 
you know, set of skills to be able to kind of navigate those moments with mm. big uh, global clients. You know, I've worked on a lot of those big brands and, I've, yeah. you know, over the years, probably you and I go back maybe 20-something to those <laughs> leading edge uh, days. KFC yeah, golf KFC days. KFC golf days. I think Australian Australians always felt that there was an Australian angle to each of those international brands. Yeah. I mean, and I know we've, you know, KFC, for example, do do a more localised market. Yeah. You know, Colgate. But we're, as Aussies, we we're always trying to use research to prove that we were a bit of a different market yeah, yeah. Um, to, to the global. And, and you obviously have to deal with mm-hmm. that plus the global teams. Yeah. Uh, does that still go on? Or? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So there's always an inherent tension between localization and just plug and play sort of. And, it, to, to, and look, it, it still happens to this day. But you know what? Having worked across so many markets and so many organizations, we're far more similar than we are different. I can tell you that much. So yeah, yeah there are local nuances and they're really important. And it depends on the category as well. Um, but it also depends on the relationship those markets have with those brands. So KFC's got you know, 50, 60, 70 year history. So it means something different to us than it potentially does in China, for example. So you've got to respect those differences. And I think that's part of the skill is being able to, you know, deliver to the interests and the needs of all stakeholders in those large global businesses and just get it done so it actually works and mm. drives demand. Back to you, how has all of that experience with all those different companies and all those different markets then mm. really shaped your leadership style and, 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 and where you are today? I think, you know, when it comes to leadership style, I guess it's it's... Again, one of the advantages that we have that I've worked across pretty much every sector. I've mm. worked for most clients <laughs> in Australia at various stages. And you see so much. You get such a unique insight of different businesses, different cultures, but also different leaders and yes. different teams. So, and you, you know, you'd know that as well. And yeah. you just, you, you know, and you can see the, the dynamic, genuine, authentic leader versus the ones that may be, you know, a little less, less genuine and authentic. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and you kind of, it, I guess I've, it, I've picked up a lot from just watching how other people drive their businesses or manage their businesses. Um, but then I've also obviously developed, um, you know, learned a lot from some of the people that I've worked with as, that mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to, if, you know, in, that, in terms of leadership, it's just, to me it's just about being yourself and being authentic and yeah. genuine. Often the students at the university here, and I know some of them do listen to the podcast, and they mm-hmm. often say they're all going for their interviews at the moment because it's the end yeah. of the year. And, yeah. and they say, oh, you know, what's one bit of advice you give? And I always say, be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you just got to... Authenticity yeah. is, is so important, whether yeah. you're a junior person or a leader. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and with that in mind, has, has there been anyone in particular or any mentor in your life that has really helped you? I've never really had a mentor, to be honest. I've had a bunch of people I've worked with that I've learned a lot from. Yeah. Um, I've never, I, I, look, and to be honest, I've never been, the career for me has been an outcome of doing things well, you know, it's just, I've never been that, you know, career mind in the sense I'm going to zigzag here, here, here and yeah. here and had a very structured plan, which I think is the same for a lot of us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's been moments along that zigzag um, where I have lent into people that have that have helped a lot, uh, just in terms of advice and guidance. So it's more mm-hmm. kind of advice at the moments that matter for me. And there's been, you know, oh, there have been two or three over those times. And as, you know, probably more recently, they are probably more commercial advice and guidance around, you know, the business assets, all that, you know, yeah. you know board level type uh, conversations. Prior to that, it was probably more, you know, leadership. And then before that, it was probably more practicing, you know, how to become a, a better practitioner. So, but yeah, a combination of influences over the, over the years. 
And if you're worth chatting to one of those young uni students we were just talking about, early stage of their career, and we have a lot here that study yeah. both marketing and psychology because a lot of them do want to get yeah, into the research space. Yeah, we've just taken six from Sydney University. Have you? Wow. We just wow. started a graduate trainee program, so um, which is fantastic. So we've had huge success, actually. We're three or four over the last uh, year or so, and they're just an absolute credit to our Sydney Uni, I have to say. The quality of the uh, graduates that are coming out is amazing. Yeah. And what sort of advice are you giving them as they kick into their career? Uh, look, the advice I'd give, first and foremost, find categories and businesses that are growing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot that, you know, I, you know and I've got a lot of, um, you know, my, my old uni mates and stuff. I've got some that end up in journalism, printing, media. And, and the reality is these are industries that have been fundamentally disrupted mm. and, you know, they're changing and the opportunities are still remain there. But, you know, Quite a few of them have done the hard yards, and really at the end of the and and it's and they they kind of personalise it as well. It's like God, you know the reality is you just you chose a path yeah. in an industry that was really challenged and and has been for many many years. So first and foremost, find a um, you know industry and or business that's growing because momentum and you know create it just creates dynamic and opportunities. So I think that's one is really really important. Probably the second thing I'd say is you know. Your, the value you get, i.e. whether it's the financial returns or, you know, the rewards for being good at what you do, comes from being good at what you do. So ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you know, your career will fundamentally be defined about how good you are at the thing that you are doing. Part and parcel of that time is mm. also you're going to have challenging moments. Yep. You're going to have moments that are really going to test you. Mm. Um, you know, what of those times have stood out for you? Yeah, so... Apart from the uh, the come to Jesus moments from an unhappy client, uh, <laughs> luckily there's only been a few of those. Over the yeah, career, yeah, and, uh, yeah, 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 good firefighting those. Yeah. To be honest, you know, it's I we are essentially a consulting business. It's a people business. People are our uh, you know our product essentially. You know, all of my most challenging career moments have come as with you know, in relationship to people. Yeah. So there's probably one in particular. We, um, at the leading edge, um, you know, as the CEO at that stage, we'd sold the business into the Photon Group, which is now a Nero. Um, you know, we were sort of post earnout. There was a, and yeah, we had a really strong senior leadership team. Um, and three of those people got together and decided to leave. And that's look, absolutely fine, right? So and I respect their, their desires to go out and, you know, start their own business, etc. But it was just the way they did it, right? So they didn't respect the business that they were leaving. Um, you know, they did a few things they shouldn't have. And, you know, you end up in a legal process. And all of a sudden, you're staring across the table at people you'd worked with for 10 years, good friends, etc. You know, duking it out through, uh, you know, which and, and it was very bad outcome for them as well. So it wasn't a, a great experience. So and look, there's been and, you know, luckily there's been very few of those um, those poor experiences for me. Over the years, with those, uh, th there's been a lot of change in our industry in mm. marketing, yeah. and I guess the challenges have changed over time as well. Um, but in in the research industry, have mm. things changed? Have they kept up with the changes that we've seen in marketing, like the digital and technology changes in marketing as a whole? Are we seeing that same trend in the research space? And what sort of change is happening? Yeah, look, we're probably a little less caught up with fragmentation media and etc it's much more around I guess how we connect with consumers and the mm -hmm. tools that we use to connect with those consumers one is, is so that's that's one it shifts so there's a lot more digital interaction remote you know etc particularly now there's been a huge swing towards sort of digital qual and those yeah. types of things um, but I think the big 
emergent delivery is then how we deliver back into organisations and the role technology plays in that. So a lot of particularly large corporates, there's a lot of investment going into technology-based delivery of information back yes. into the business. Yeah. So part of our challenge is learning to line up against you know, how do we ensure that the insight that we're delivering is basically brought back into the business in the right way and in a shape that can actually be delivered to the rest of the organisation. So mm-hmm. that technology piece will continue. What about the way you're measuring and, and reviewing behaviour of customers? Is there anything new coming out in that space? Like I know you said it's gone digital, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Implants so, or? No, no, no. I <laughs> think know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And again, I mean, clients have so much information and data at the moment. So mm. one of the big things, you know, I think as an industry, we... You know, increasingly we just need to be data agnostic, really, because the skills that we have are taking complex data, be that, you know, quantitative data, qualitative data, whatever it is, you know, basically synthesizing that and bringing back to the business Mm -hmm. insights that can, you know, allow them to make decisions or, you know, commercial impact. You know, so those skills apply regardless of the data set. So we're just increasingly we're going to have to be data agnostic because less and, you know, fewer clients want us out there collecting more information they just want to be harnessing and leveraging the information that they've got so I think that's one the other side of things is there's enormous amounts of behavioral data now obviously in the media space um, enormous amounts um, you know your large services businesses they've all got customer databases etc but at the end of the day again with all of those masses of data typically they're telling you how customers are behaving they're not telling you why they're doing what they're doing Mm -hmm. so you know Mm -hmm. we still see our role very much around really understanding people you know your consumers your customers shoppers whatever it might be and through that understanding helping businesses make decisions more better decisions two-part question mm. um first one you, you you've been at 55 five for, for for a decade now mm. um give us the story behind the name and then secondly um how's the company sort of evolved over that you know 10 years in in, in, you know in in, in this you know lifetime is is is, you know 100 years in generation ago so (laughs) lots would have have happened in the last oh it's definitely absolutely so the name um 55.5 so it comes from an albert einstein quote so when he was asked if you had an hour to save the world what would you do he said he'd spend 55 minutes trying to understand what the problem was because once he knew what the problem was it'd take him five minutes to solve it so (laughs) it talks really nicely to the idea of basically thinking ahead of execution and you know in a lot of organizations and you guys would have experienced it you know there's a lot of execution ahead of thinking um the business itself so again a lot of momentum so about 140 odd people over 10 years um and and still growing and growing dramatically um the you know the underlying drivers for our business remain strong. So there is still a genuine belief in corporate world that being more customer centric will drive growth, right? So that's one, and a lot of them struggling to be customer centric. So that's a really important driver for us. Um, and the other side is the other driver is really that's you know what I talked about before, just that proliferation of information, knowledge, and and actually having the skills to be able to really take all of that down into to insight. So those things are very powerful drivers, and and will continue to support the industry. A couple of quick ones. One mm. was when you know you effectively started up businesses, successful businesses twice. Yep. You've also, particularly part of this, this one, you've merged quite a few things yep. together. I yep. mean, the learnings around that, yeah. uh, as, as from you guys. <laughs> Shut up. <Yeah. laughs> uh, integration's hard, I can yeah. tell you that. So yeah. that's been interesting. So, um, you know, 
having done a, a recent merger with a business, um, two businesses ostensibly doing the same thing, they couldn't be more different. Um, and it's the difference is really in the culture and how people work and the dynamics around how they work and those types of things. And, you know, I think, you know, I definitely learned a lot through that process. Mm. Um, what I thought would be relatively easy and simple was anything but. And um, it was, you know, it came, we, we got through it really successfully and we did it well, but it took pretty much the better part of 12 months. And it was, incre- you know, it was very time consuming to get that stuff right. Um, because, you know, the assets that you are pulling together are people. So at the heart of that, and you're pulling two different cultures together, that's, uh, you know, and to be honest, it was kind of like oil and water there for a while. So you had to find a way to get it all mixed <laughs> together, but we we managed to do that, which is good. Do you have a philosophy, a philosophy around culture and, and what drives it? And Very much so. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really important to me. It, it's just, and I think it's a reflection of who I am, but it's just, you know, if I, people, you know, culture is a very hard thing to define, but for mm. me, it's kind of simple. It's it's all about adult to adult. It's just, you know, we work with a bunch of very smart people. Um, they're capable professionals. You treat them like adults, they behave like adults. So, you know, I'm running, I'm constantly running around the office, pulling signs down, telling people what to do. And, you know, that very parental parent to child <laughs> yes. type yeah. dynamic. Yes. But it's just actually, you know, respecting, you know, um, people's ability to, do the right thing and you know everybody knows what we're all meant to be doing it's just about um you know doing it in an adult to adult way so and 700 projects in in a year is quite a we lot, a lot yeah. what in your career have there been any of those or recently or old that have really stood out any pieces of research or thinking that yeah. you have really moved you or something you yeah. can, a story you can tell us about that look i, I think that i guess that's the thing there's a sort of like so many projects I've done over the years yeah. and, and, and so many highlights around those. I mean, there's a couple that really stand out for me. One was very early in my career, which I would have been 25, 26. I just started at the leading edge and it was basically one of the major banks were going to crash the home loan market, right? So up until then, everybody played fair when it came to interest rates. There was very little difference between the big four. Some would argue that's still the same today. But uh, <laughs> one of the big banks, the, the leading bank at that time, was going to crash the home loan market with a, a really serious rate um, disruption. So I was all of a sudden thrown into what was quite possibly one of the most important decisions they'd made you know, in the last yeah, 10 well, years. Yeah. I was working with McKinsey and the partners were based out of New York, right? So they just kept calling me at 4 a.m. So... <laughs> I'm not sure how many, how much work you've done with uh, the US, but yeah. they don't tend to respect uh, time zones. So, it's or, 9 o'clock in New York. What yeah, are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. 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 Is it 9 o'clock everywhere? <laughs> so I was thrown into the middle of that and you just go, holy shit, you know, and it was one of those moments and it was a very complex pricing piece of work that we're doing. But, um, you know, it was very, very challenging, but it really pushed me and, you know, ended up being incredibly successful. So it's kind of one of those traits where you go, wow, that was actually really, really, you're right in the middle of something really important, um, which was fantastic. And probably the other ones later in my career, and particularly at the at 55.5, is, is the work we've done for some of our global clients, where you are, you're working with global CEOs, as I said, you, you, you know, you're working with, you know, the group, the global guys, you're working with the local guys, and you're helping to essentially align around a view of their consumers, um, to drive strategy and market execution. It's just, it's very powerful. And you're going from one market to the other. We did a bit of a roadshow about 18 months ago where we just, you know, eight countries over about 12 days and just wow. running workshops mm. and driving. And it's just, it's actually, it's, um, you know, it's nice to be on a world stage. And it's good for Australian businesses to be on a world stage. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, the insights for me. And without sounding 
you know, arrogant, egotistical, but Australian businesses bat above our weight. Our only problem is geography. And I think there's a huge opportunity through COVID because borders are falling away. And mm. I just think for Australian businesses in particular, there is a just such a, yeah, it's, it's huge opportunity. And we're seeing that now. So some of the work that we're doing, everybody's now used to working on VCs. The idea that your agency partner needs to be, you know, 200 metres down the road and on your beck and call, all of that will change and yeah. change quite quickly. So I'm quite excited about that. And so those changes now obviously represent opportunities and challenges for the market research industry going forward like yep. yeah what's the sort of you know over the horizon sort of look on that we're booming at the moment like it's it's quite interesting the um the cope i mean the whole covid thing has been been fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons one is watching our vast array of clients respond or not to to COVID (laughs) and and how they've responded Um, and some have done have been amazing others you know not so amazing Um, but what what you know first and foremost this is a you know it was a people event it was a people crisis it was fundamentally changing consumer and customer behaviour and and it's just it's all demand side based and what we're seeing now is you know a lot of our clients now starting to kind of reset their understanding of consumers and customers, yeah. um, at least understand how they're changing and how that uh, that behaviour is going to change. So we, again, we're talking about the advertising mm-hmm. forecasting. I'd be keen to see those numbers. I haven't seen them, but I'm sure I'd have a view because you can just, where we are really front and centre in helping businesses understand how their consumers and customer changes. That's a big tick for us. And I think the other side of it is, they, as I said before, they, they kind of get to realign their insight programs as well. There's a lot of investments in programs that were purporting to deliver certain things back into the business that you know, a lot of clients are now realising actually doesn't and without, you know, regard, you know, there's a lot of NPS programs, for example, where, you know, an organisation believing that NPS is measuring an experience where all of a sudden in COVID, the experience hasn't changed, but your NPS numbers are swinging around wildly. All it tells them is it's NPS measures a lot more than just experience. Well, it has been great today to learn everything from you around from where the role of research is in today's marketing and going forward, I think, you know, I think there's a really important lesson you told, told around learning from others. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of a culture in growing businesses I thought was great. The mm-hmm. challenges leaders and founders face because it's never the easy road that I think a lot of people look at yeah. from the outside. So, Mark Sunquist, thank you for joining no us problems. on the Marketing Community. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, well, that's it for this episode of the Marketing Commute. Thanks to our guest, Mark Sunquist from 55.5, to my co-host, Andrew Baxter and Carmen Becker, to our producers, Wing Yu and to Frankie McGrath, as well as the studios here at the University of Sydney Business School. And finally, to Visual Domain, our new partner for Season 3. You can find the Marketing Commute on all good podcast networks, and you can find more detailed show notes, get links from each episode to find out more about our guests and presenters at themarketingcommute.com. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.